Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Are you ready, kids? Get your parents' permission, check your mailbox, and grab your shopping cart. It's time for the Adventures in Collecting podcast. I'm Eric. And I'm Dave. Welcome, Welcome to, to Adventures, Adventures in, in Collecting, Collecting, where we talk toy news, culture, and hauls, along with our journeys as collectors. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Adventures in Collecting. Hi. Dave, we are back. Eric, we are. We're here. Um, we are. And we're not, we're not going to talk about wrestling figures <laughs> this week. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, um, we are not. Taking, taking a little after, break. Little break. After a couple weeks in a row, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. The, so two, two weeks in a row of, of uh, talking about some, some fine wrestling figures. Uh, and then, uh, you know, our, our normal news break, but today we are back with a, uh, with another guest, Dave. We are, um, yeah, as, as is the norm. Yeah. The norm. Remember, remember when we, we weren't an interview podcast every week. I, I, I like what we've evolved into though. We've worked <laughs> did, hard to get how, here. How, how did anyone stay, stay on board? <laughs> how, how? Yeah, if you've been, you know, people are like, "Oh, is there going to be like a normal episode?" I'm like, "These are like, <laughs> if anything, you don't want, I, you don't want the old version." I will say we have I mean, a list. Maybe you do. I don't know, but I, we, well, we have a list of topics for like just in case of like technical emergency, <laughs> like where we, like where we have to go off the cuff. So if all of a what sudden was, you're like, "Oh, why are they talking about toys they brought on road trips with them?" That's so, why. so what was so what were your hauls since last time we talked about this? Well, it's been two years, so oh, I've gotten a lot. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's, it's been a it's been a, a long two years. So uh, let, let's let's not uh, bury the lead, right? Let's, let's no, absolutely not. Right? No let's, burying. No burying the leads. So uh, as as you're all very intimately familiar at this point, it's it's certainly no famine when it comes to sourcing new toys for our collections. Uh, whether it's a long-standing industry juggernaut churning out new plastic from beloved IPs and fandoms, or someone like this week's guest delivering original characters through a crowdfunded campaign, uh, we really do still live in an exciting time to, to be a collector. Joining us on this episode well into a scorching hot and successful Kickstarter is Rob Post, owner of Savage Crucible. Welcome to Adventures in Collecting, Rob. Good evening, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. It is, it is our pleasure. Um, I think it is the understatement of the year so far to say that your Kickstarter has been wildly successful. So congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I, I, I appreciate that. <clears throat> So before we, we hop into uh, your history with toys and, and Savage Crucible, uh, as this is a show about collecting, the first question we ask all of our guests, uh, what are you currently collecting and what are some of your recent pickups? So my most recent pickup is uh, Mondo Man at Arms. So I hadn't really been collecting the Mondo, but they finally got me with the Battle Cat 
Um, so I I thought that was too great of a piece to to pass up on, and I thought that'd be a great display piece. So now I'm going back and collecting all their previous releases on the the Mondo Moto. So we'll see. That's my most recent. Um, I'm pretty happy with that. And those are the one six scale ones, right? Those those are the big they ones. Are. They are the big boys. So how does it feel like like I haven't I actually haven't even seen one of those in person. Like yeah, I'm thinking like back to like toy events and and things. How is it like, you know, you're so used to like a five inch Masters of the Universe figure? What is it like having, you know, a, a one six scale battle cat? <laughs> uh, well, I don't have the battle cat yet. That was on a pre order. So but the 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 one six uh man at arms. Right, man is at arms big. Yeah. It's it's kinda like the equivalent and a lot of things like when you opened up a Sentinel or a Galactus and you're like, my God, this thing is huge. Like you want to, sh- you just want to put it on your kitchen table. So everyone has to ask you about it kind of thing. <laughs> it's pretty much the equivalent. Like it, it's a showstopper. A showstopper. Yeah. It's a, a collection centerpiece, right? Yes, very much so. Both literally and figuratively. Yeah. Ayo. Uh, yeah. Um, so your journey to starting your own toy line is an unusual one. Uh, tell us how you got there. So, um, I was a collector and I was collecting mythic legions at the time. And this is three, four years ago. And I was kind of looking for some hobbies to get into besides this collecting. I remember I thought that I would collect mythic legions, jump into that. And it might take me a little while to collect some of the first releases and, it took me about two weeks, honestly. So then I had to figure out something else to do. So I was looking into customizing. I thought that had a lot of potential with painting. I used to do some more gaming and things like that. So I did enjoy painting. And, but I didn't really like, I don't have any ability to sculpt myself with any, any amount of aptitude. So I was watching a show or something. And one of the creators was talking about a Form 2 printer that they use at their shop. And I looked it up and it was reasonably affordable, um, meaning it didn't cost like a couple hundred thousand dollars. So I ordered one. It showed up a couple of days later and uh, started printing something. I had my first print in about 12 hours from getting it. And uh, from that point, I started uh, getting on certain websites looking for sculptors to make some extra parts for my figures because I wanted some barbarian characters that just weren't readily available out there in the, um, to go buy. And so while there is a multitude of things or toys to buy these days, even just a couple of years ago, there's a lot of genres that are sort of overlooked, um, especially with more hardcore stuff. Everything seems to be a little bit more bright or kid centric for the, for that purpose, which is absolutely fine, but not what I was looking for for my own personal collection. And um, so I started 3D printing, um, hiring some sculptors just to sculpt stuff for me personally. And from there, I actually decided to just create a website on a whim. And I started selling my parts. And um, like I said, that was like three, four years ago. I think that was 2018, December of 2018, um, when I started doing that. And from there, we started MAFC. And it kind of kind of blew up from there in terms of uh, just interacting with sculptors and creators and things of that nature. So, um, you know, you, you mentioned, uh, you know, my action figure customs and, you know, it, very well known within the uh, the the Mythic Legions community, in, in terms of a place to get uh, you know custom pieces, uh, did you find that people kind of had the same tastes as you? You know, when you were putting up those pieces, like you know the stuff that you were making for yourself, did it translate well to things that like other people wanted to purchase? Yes, actually, um, 
there were a few hits and misses. And sometimes there's a sculpt that just comes out of nowhere and everybody just absolutely loves that no one even asked for. But in general, yes, I can say that um, the things that I was looking for and the things that the artists were creating were definitely, definitely hitting with the customer base. There's no doubt about that. Um, I can tell you like from the first day I started selling like 20 or 30 pieces um, to like, I think my best month, we probably did like 60,000. in So um, just, you know, in comparison, that's just, you know, the, the huge difference in unanticipated demand that you can't really account for. Right. And I think the, a great example is like the Draven head sculpt, which was his vampire head. And I call it the sculpt that no one asked for, but everybody wanted um, because <laughs> not one person asked for that sculpt at all. And, but it's been one of the best sellers ever. And it's like I said, it's just something that no one really ever asked for. We just kind of did it on a whim and um, it was a big hit. Now, I think the thing that some of the tastes that I see out there that I don't really resonate with are like a lot of uh, sweet woodland creatures and things like that kind of whimsical stuff doesn't really doesn't really fall into a lot of the fantasy that I was reading as a kid I was usually reading more hardcore stuff so I think that's something that might be like a whole or some uh, sort of a subgenre that appeals to certain people um, based on what kind of fantasy tales that you were reading growing up well we, we have this thing that we like to say you know uh, on, on the show in, in terms of toys I didn't know I needed that until I saw it <laughs> so exactly you know, there there are a lot of toy companies out there that do that excel at uh at, at doing just that and that kind of is the the theme of the day really you know like anything can be a toy now like literally anything um and and sometimes you just need to like see it to be like oh i i i need that now <laughs> yeah like we have a toy gelatinous cube now like yep yep and like we have Alf as a toy all these years, all these years later, uh-huh. you know, and people were prior to NECA even putting out that Alf, people were taking uh black series Chewbacca and black series Ewoks and 3d printing Alf heads for them, you know, and, hmm. and like chopping them up and kit bashing and stuff. So like even before he was officially a toy, people toy. really wanted an Alf toy. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty wild. Oh yeah, I think I had a stuffed Alf. Actually, I think it's about the only thing you could actually buy of Alf, right? I had I had that as well. I did back in mm. the day. Yeah, um, and, and the and the other thing too is just like with with the world of Mythic Legions. I mean, there's such a cottage industry around customization with them. Like it's like it's a. I mean, the the line itself, you know, is kind of designed to be kit bashed and and you know customized, but you know people like yourself and you know all the numerous other artists that are out there producing you know pieces that that fit on those those body types it's just it's it's incredible to see you know you walk up and down toy shows especially here in New Jersey you know with with Legion's Con and um and Toy Con NJ like just table after table of people that are making these like super cool stuff for for Mythic Legions Yeah I was going to say it seems like it's like if if you're collecting mythic legions, that seems like that's part of part of what you do is like, okay, how do we customize this? Um, so when you think of, you know, the customs that you were doing, was it a logical progression for you to scale that up to, uh, make your own toy line? So 
I went down the path of actually looking to license some stuff and manufacture some parts previously, and that didn't work out. And so when you think about it from a toy company's perspective, the average toy company is usually, usually is run by artists. If you think about it, usually most indie companies are usually based on the artists involved. They, they have some, some talent or ability in the toy making industry. Either they came from a toy company or they're a sculptor um, or something to that effect. Right. And so with being with so many different artists that, uh, that work with MAFC, I mean, there's a, there's a good about five or six sculptors. Um, that was something that we had. And a lot of the sculptors that work for MAFC are actually professional sculptors who do work for Mezco, Hasbro, Lego. Um, so it was sort of a unique position to be in, to have that many talented people. And we would always talk about sort of the things that we wanted to see and the limitations we had in trying to, have custom parts that only worked on a couple of bodies and there's like new bodies that we wanted. Right. So that was sort of where it, it came out of. We had the, we had the knowledge. Um, we certainly had artistic ability. So there, yeah, I think it was a natural progression to get there. Now you mentioned your, you know, the background of somebody who typically starts, you know, a, a toy company being kind of that artist or designer. And, and yes, you had the time to kind of build these relationships with, with artists and designers, but you know, your, your background, you know, like we kind of alluded to at the, at the top of the show is, is kind of a roundabout way of how you had, you know, gotten into the industry. Does, does any of your background in, um, you know, in finance, like was any of that, uh, you know, informing any of the decisions that you made or accounting, excuse me, right? Accounting, not finance. So the uh, finance is actually uh, more correct in this, in this instance, but yes, actually, I mean, I have an operations background, um, a military background. I'm a disabled veteran, uh, Arabic linguist, military intelligence. Um, thank you for your service. Thank yes, you. thank um, you. So it, um, I think all of my decisions um, are based on well, let me say that 97% of my decisions are based on solid numbers and logic, right? Um, so there's 3% in there that goes on gut or something that I just necessarily want. And I think that is the the real difference and some of the things that I harp on, um, because from my perspective, things don't make sense right now in the toy industry. There's a lot of things that don't make sense that people should be asking some really hard questions about. Um, and so from an operational standpoint and understanding what I know about the industry, um, timelines weren't making sense. Pre-orders weren't making sense. Um, the amount of money involved wasn't making sense. And so um, those are things that I am trying really hard uh, with, with our company to make sure that we don't do and that we do right by the fans. So, cause there, you know, we were having this conversation today why do you have to have a pre-order for only a month or two months or a week if you don't get your figures for two years? Yeah. I mean, we're, we're sitting here shrugging. So yeah. I mean, they're not in production. They're not sending the money to China. Why? I, I, I don't, I, we do not know the answer. <laughs> Someone can answer that for me. It'd be great. Um, so yeah, and I mean, in just, in some cases too, like they're completely, you know, you know, Hasbro has eliminated 
pre-orders now entirely from, you know, from the plan for the Lucasfilm products. So like it's it's a very it is a very weird it is a very weird time. <laughs> right. To, Not to every company does it. There there are some companies that do open up their pre-order window all the way up to when they're about to put in the order because they want to maximize the amount that they buy from the factory. Um and so there are there are companies that do that, but most don't. Most try to create and it's a form of fear marketing. Basically, FOMO, you know, you're going to miss out if you don't. It forces you. And there is some psychology behind it in terms of if you can delay a purchase, you'll delay it into infinity. Um, but like I said, if you have it up to a couple of weeks before you're going to put place your order, then there's no reason to really worry about it. Some people are going to be early birds get in there first. Some people are going to build it up over time. Some people would actually buy more if you had a longer window, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's always going to be those people that wait till the last minute. That's just how it always works. So, but in terms of fans, um, my personal take is, is I don't want to try to limit the window in which they can purchase um, to such a, such a limiting degree. There should be a wider, a wider window to be able to purchase. Yeah. I mean, that's, we, you know, we've seen a multitude of examples at this point from, from, you know, indie makers where that's been successful for them, you know, where it's not been a, it's like, Hey, listen, this is, we're going to have a nice long open, like, you know, pre-order window. And this is the finite day when it's closing, you know, we're, we're going to be upfront about what that day is, but you know, you have time and you know, this is, this is how it's going to work. And yeah, it's, it's stress-free and you know, it, it tends to, we, we've not we've we've not seen any issues with with that approach uh, so far. So, so so speaking of of the approach itself, uh, Savage Crucible. So here we are. We've arrived at uh, you know the actual creation of the line, um, and you've mentioned you know your your uh, your liking to to fantasy, you know, and, and kind of that more like hard hardcore fantasy. But how did you actually uh, decide on the theme? For, for Savage Crucible? Well, there's there's certain things that I really enjoyed. I um, Despite their problems as people, Howard and Lovecraft, um, were, their Conan and their uh, Cthulhu um, universes were very interesting to me. They're, they were always fun, always mysterious. There was always a mysterious element to them. Um, so that was sort of the one part of it. And the next part of it was is there's just so many great sci-fi movies over the years that brought in some really gr- cool concepts in terms of worlds. And I thought that it would just be a unique idea, not really unique in itself, but unique just to kind of bring it all together. And I really wanted to bring a universe together that allowed other brands to come into it. And so there's so many great little subgenres of fantasy and sci-fi that, um, we all or most of us really enjoy, but don't have the same kind of popularity to be mass produced. And so to create a vehicle where you could introduce some of those characters to be able to collect side by side, I think would be, well, at least I thought would be pretty awesome. And so that was sort of the basis of the concept of Savage Crucible, someplace where you could literally, as an Crucible, mix several different brands together to, to bring it into its own world. Yeah, and and you know, from the designs that we've seen, from everything from that paranoid to the uh, you know to the lizard guys, it's it's there is a, quite a mix of uh, of of creatures and and humanoid characters. 
Oh yeah. No, and I mean, and I was a big D and D fan growing up, and um, it's kind of it's been great to watch Stranger Stranger Things and see that world kind of come to life in a different way that you, um, you know, that you you didn't think was possible twenty years ago. Like no one, it was way too far down on the geek scale to ever be in mainstream America, right? Yeah, if if yeah. Uh, if only if only Gary had a, had a few more years left in the tank and and got a chance to see uh, you know it come kind of full circle, I'm sure he would have had some, some a heavy amount of vindication. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and I mean the Kickstarter has been a massive success so far. Um, were you surprised at how strong of a response it got um, right out of the gate? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually, very. Very much so. In fact, people have questioned like the go- the funding goals, like why I did the ways I did, and I was like, well, I had no idea that like we might we might have just funded at like one twenty nine. I didn't know, you know, like I had no clue where the numbers were going to be, and I did not imagine we would have gotten this far. Um, I thought it was going to take us like at least three weeks to get above like two fifty or three hundred, and I mean we did it in less than I don't know. 10 days about about 10 days we got to 300 something so um yes i am very surprised i mean i i thought that this would resonate with people but i was not cocky i was definitely um had a lot of anxiety going into it and just kind of thinking well um sometimes you miss the mark sometimes you hit the mark we're about to find out so yeah it was one of those things where you know we had noticed on social media, especially on Instagram, like people were posting, you know, kind of pictures and like, you know, that it was coming and, you know, just kind of the overall design and the presentation. And, and also, you know, it, it always helps when you have D amazing, um, you know, taking some photos, but like, you know, we, we just seeing some of the, those images and like the fact that there were already, you know, hand painted prototypes, right? Cause those are the ones that he shot are prototypes, right? Yeah. They're check models. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're made in silicone molds. Okay. So, but like even, even seeing those is like, it's like, Oh, this is like, this looks way farther along. Like than than usually projects like this kind of look. And I think a, I think that really helped you know, the initial boost is like, no, look, this is what these things are actually going to look like. And they look really sweet. But, um, but two, again, you know, riding that, uh, you know, the popularity of, of what, uh, what four horsemen's doing. I mean, those, the be existing in that world, that kind of culture, I think too, like, you know, the background with, you know, my action figure customs, I, I think you, you like really hit the nail on the head with this, this project. And, you know, it, it was one of those ones where before we had even chatted before, you know, I, I, you know, we even knew what Savage Crucible was just looking at those initial photos was like, this is going to fund fast. <laughs> People are already yeah. like super jazzed about this. And we're a week out from, you know, from the, the campaign even launching. So, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like the perfect time for, for, you know, that kind of like deep fantasy kind of, stuff to really just kind of be at the forefront where it's, you know, it's almost like a, a new, I don't want to say golden age for it, but like, as far as, you know, action figures and collectibles goes, you know, thanks to the, you know, popular new popularity of like, even something like D and D or like even, you know, the pathfinders and such of the world, like mm-hmm. mythic legions and now savage crucible, like 
you're starting to see this pop up more and more. Yeah, I think it's I think it is a golden age. Um, I think that with adult collectors and D&D going so mainstream that people have touched on it in some form or fashion that um, I think they can see the characters and the ideas for what they are and how much interest they bring to them or before people, you know, that was always a problem with science fiction and fantasy. A lot of people shun them for being childish or something when we were younger, but they actually get the, you have the ability to explore ideas and then the untethered from some of the politics that, you know, day to day bring to it. Right. So just on the story side of it. So you get to explore things. That was a great thing about Star Trek, mm-hmm. right? You got to explore societal problems from a different angle without all the baggage. It was, and, um, you know, Starship Troopers, you know, I mean, that was a big shock with those, you know, and, and the, the, the whole society, like you're sitting there cheering and then you don't realize till about maybe, well, some people didn't rise to the entire movie, but some people didn't realize who they were actually cheering on some fascists there. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, just interesting ideas um, all around and that fancy and, and really lets you explore a lot of those topics. So, And now a word from our sponsors. This segment is brought to you by our friends at Chubsy Wubsy Toys. A traditional mom-and-pop toy store in Little Falls, New Jersey, Chubsy Wubsy Toys brings you the best new toys from the brands you love without the hassle of pounding the pavement, searching for them at larger retail stores. Visit them in person at 106 Main Street in Little Falls, New Jersey, or online at ChubsyWubsy.com. That's C-H-U-B-Z-Z-Y-W-U-B-Z-Z-Y.com. And tell them Adventures in Collecting sent you. Pop into a new career with CGC, the world leader in pop culture collectibles grading. CGC is seeking world-class Funko Pop experts to lead a new division dedicated to authenticating and grading collectible toys. This is an incredible opportunity to help build a new grading service in a hot collectibles category. Think you can play the part? Apply today at cgcgrading.com forward slash careers. That's cgcgrading.com forward slash careers. Breaking news. Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. From a beard trim to a fresh shave, the technology behind the Beard Hedger Pro Kit allows you to shape your signature beard look. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using code AIC for 20% off and free shipping. It's time to tame your mane. No one likes a weird beard, Dave. So say goodbye to all your stubble trouble with Manscaped's Pro Beard Kit. Eric, it all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is a juggernaut of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. That's right, face grooming doesn't need to be hard. Get 20 different beard lengths in just one guard. Plus it's waterproof, so you can shave in the shower to avoid all that hair in the sink. The titanium-coated T-Blade is tough on hair, but smooth on your face, leading to single-stroke efficiency. That brings satisfaction one stroke at a time. Kit doesn't end there, though. 
they've created four dermatologist-tested formulations for your post-trim care. First, there is the Beard Shampoo and Conditioner. You need to remember all your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. That's why the kit has made shampoo and conditioner specially designed to moisturize, reduce ingrown hairs, and replace natural oils and promote beard health. Next, the kit has Manscaped's Beard Oil, an essential piece for your main facial accessory. No one wants a guy whose beard is brittle and dry. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath, while adding a little shimmer and shine, making you look extra fine. Cap it all off with the Beard Balm, a pomade that shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames for a sculpted look. It also comes with three free gifts, a beard brush, a comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So what are you waiting for? Get 20% off and free shipping with the code AIC at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code AIC. Manscaped Beard Hedger. One stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. And now back to the show. So uh, aside from the actual theme of these figures themselves, uh, clearly a lot has gone into the consideration with, uh, you know, design um, and, and scale for that matter. So, you know, outside of wanting these figures to play inside multiple worlds, like you had mentioned, what were some of the things that, uh, that you took into consideration when you were designing these, these full figures? So for me, I've really always enjoyed um, Mafex and figure arts and monster art figures. Um, I think they have some of the smoothest, best articulation. Um, and a lot of them, like with Monster Arts, do a really great job of hiding joints yep. um, without really breaking up the sculpt. Now, they're really expensive, and Bandai has a great factory, which they own, and so that, that allows them to do things that the average indie toy company can't do because they're not, they're not controlling it from that standpoint. But um, when I did find my factory several years ago, um, Dave Proctor is our production manager. He's a former employee of Hasbro. He's a founding member of Boss Fights and just a world-class sculptor and engineer when it comes to toys. I mean, the amount of knowledge that he actually has is, is pretty breathtaking, actually. So I actually wanted to do some things. I wanted double joints. I wanted um, double knees and elbows that were better hidden than the average domestic figure that you got. And so the articulation was really up there. Uh, on an important scale, on the important scale, rather. So that was important. The next part was pop and swappability. Um, being D&D, that world, you know, that ability to customize as well. I realize that not everybody has the time to actually sit down and paint and customize figures and think through that. That's very time-consuming when you think about it. And so a lot of people have kids and other commitments and spouses and things like that, and you can't spend that much time doing that. So... I wanted to make sure that out the gate, I had a very large catalog of parts that gave people the ability to pop and swap without having to paint to really create unique characters. And so what, what tomorrow with some of the stretch goals that drop, you'll start to see like these little knickknacks that go onto the figures that really help you differentiate them from a bullwhip to cuffs to a navigation kit, the things like that, that you can really outfit each figure. And so the ability just in the first three waves, I think there's, there's definitely over a dozen of every piece 
in terms of forearms, shins, waist pieces, deltoid armor, shoulder armor. There's over, I don't know how many different heads. So you could literally, um, in each wave, army build your entire wave and not, not one have one figure wearing the same same armor, much less the same little accessories and giving everybody unique weapons. So there there is a rhyme and a reason to it. I have heard some whining about how this is possible. And um, the only way it's possible is if there's the, the demand there, right? So And so far the demand's pretty strong and we feel pretty good about it. So we'll be able to continue that um, based on our current projections. So um, I don't see a lot of massive repaints going on over and over again. That's not going to be something that we're going to really entertain. So if you see old parts, they're going to be on a new body with a new head. Um, so, but that's part of the pop and swap mentality is that you can reuse parts, but not use them in the same manner over and over again. So you can have a really diverse shelf. And I think too, that's one of those things where, you know, people, exist on both sides of the coin when it comes to, you know, reuse. And I, I think when it's done right, it's less of a reuse and a repaint and more of a reuse of engineering. You know, you're taking the time to make these really smooth joints, these, you know, these body parts that, uh, you know, that are engineered really well. Why not, you know, reutilize those parts to make new characters? It's just silly to think of it any other way. No, I completely agree. I mean, just there's just no reason to have the same armor on the same skin. Yep. You can, you know, you can take any of the armor from the lizards and you can reissue it on a different body type, and you yep. get to reuse that armor. You know, so that's and you can think of all the multitudes of body types that you can squeeze out. So um, there's a lot. There's a lot. You just got to plan ahead and kind of think deep. And I think the biggest problem most indie companies have starting out is cash. You know, they're really strapped for cash. This is an expensive endeavor. And as you alluded to earlier, we're way farther along because we spent the money to do that. And just the average person just doesn't have that kind of money in reserve um, to do those kind of things because it is expensive. It, it truly is. So th that initial investment that you made into the project ahead of the launch of the campaign, I mean, like you said, that's that's definitely the difference maker here. And I mean, it was it was evident before the campaign launched <laughs> yeah i mean we had two full-time sculptors for two years oh wow okay so um i think you can imagine what we have in reserve um in terms of <laughs> characters um so you've been busy yeah. yes <laughs> yeah and then if you look at just our check models you know we have we have six different body bodied figures and check models Normally you see one check model of one body type <laughs> and we have three copies of each check model and six different characters. So that in itself is about a $25,000 investment. Jeez. Um, yeah. Now another really cool thing is um, this kind of speaks to the, you know, that I would say, sense of history in like the, the fantasy world. And that's the inclusion of a, a Frank Frazetta design character. Um, how did that opportunity come up? So <clears throat> it came through MAFC about, I don't know, two or three years ago. We, um, I approached the Frazetta museum, um, particularly Frank and Lori Frazetta to license some parts to, 
sculpt and 3D make to put on some Mythesians figures. At that point, there wasn't a Mesco Def dealer out there. Um, there have been some really nice statues made. I think maybe Fison did one of their, you know, molded flesh, whatever, bodies. Um, but that was pretty much it out there. I think there was like a, a shorter five-inch figure or something, um, but not really my speed. And so I just wanted to make a really nice Def dealer. I'd seen some people make a, a custom of it. That those people were able to sculpt it. But um, so I approached them and they were um, uh, very gracious and humored me um, and were just really polite and let me license um, the parts or take, you know, license that deaf dealer figure in terms of making out some 3d printed parts. And it did fairly well. People were really excited about it and um, no one had ever approached them about doing this. And I had to explain to them, you know, they're like, well, where's the body? You know, and I'm like, well, no, there's the body someplace else. Like, you know, they just put these parts on it. And, um, they were just very gracious. And I mean, I, they just were nice people about it. They didn't, they could have just told me to go away. It wasn't worth their time to be honest. I mean, they didn't, they barely made any, money off the topic. I mean, relatively speaking to like someone like Mezco or somebody else pays them for the licensing fees. Right. Um, so they were just really gracious to me. And when I approached them again, I had a different strategy about how I wanted to go about this. And I didn't want to do Duff dealer out the gate. I knowing, um, Frank's library of characters, there's just so many awesome characters that he has that no one's ever put into an action figure form and barely some of I mean, a few have been made into statues, but that's just a few. I mean, he's got hundreds of characters that have potential. Um, just fantastic characters. So that was the idea. That was the pitch. I'm going to start with a character that most people, the average person isn't going to know only hardcore for Zeta fans are really going to know about it. Um, and kind of build up to these more well-known characters. And that was the game plan. And that was the sales pitch. And, Frankly, no one had ever approached them like that before. Yeah, I mean, what a pick. I mean, he 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 does have so many toyetic designs. I mean, that that mm-hmm. like that they're begging to be action figures, especially now mm-hmm. with like the technology and the you know the, the the way that these are designed. I mean, you could really bring those those uh, those drawings to life. To life, air quotes, plastic oh, yeah. life. <laughs> Um, but, but considering now that you've, you know, you've licensed, uh, you know, the death dealer for, for my action figure customs and, and, you know, the, uh, what, what's the, the official name? I, 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 it's I keep, warrior with ball and chain. I was going to say warrior with ball and chain. Um, can we expect to see more, uh, from the Frazetta library coming to Savage Crucible down the line? Uh, I would count on it. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I think, I think that's the, uh. That that was the expected answer, but yeah. <laughs> All right. So this next section, um, this is our uh, our follower Q and A. So uh, if this is the first time you've ever listened to Adventures in Collecting, hi, welcome, welcome to the show. Hope you're hope you're enjoying this episode. Uh, make sure you're following us on Instagram at aic underscore podcast, where when we have a guest, uh, we will make an announcement on social media and give you the opportunity to submit questions for this very segment on uh, on the show. So this week we have called the number of questions to one, two, three, four. We have four questions for you today from our followers. Dave, would you like to do the first one? Yes. Yes, I absolutely would. Um, so friend of the pod at Craig's Stuff asks, assuming these will be available at retail down the road, what will they be priced at? 
Um, probably somewhere around 55, I would imagine. Okay. Next one comes from at Fortress Matimus. Fortress Matimus. I like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's it tracks too for this episode. This is this is good. Yeah, and must be said with a deep voice. <laughs> uh, with so many races, body shapes, and colorways, how compatible will these Kickstarter items be with future line offerings? Very. In fact, uh, you know, we told people that our plan is to have the dwarf in wave four, and a lot of a good number of the parts will fit on the dwarf. Like any of the deltoid armor will fit on the dwarf. Any of the, um, the hands from the barbarians, they will fit on the dwarf. So, um, I think someone previously asked, is the dwarf going to have middle fingers? And my response is he's already got them in wave two. Um, so yes, no, everything work with the dwarf. No, so it's a different body, but, um, future body styles, um, Yes, there will be definitely be an eye towards compatibility and uh, reverse compatibility. We will do other body types, certainly. Um, but that doesn't mean that some parts can't be compatible, even if you go up in a, in a body size or down. All right. Next one is at Johnny underscore C underscore dagger. And Johnny asks, was there a particular reason why the character packs are not compatible with the $15 slates? Yes. The, the first answer is, is that we only came up with the slates and put them in the Kickstarter two weeks before it started. Um, the plan was always to have a $25 army, bigger, uh, army builder figure. And when we got the final pricing um, for that, we just kind of inquired what a sort of a blank figure would cost to make. And it was so cheap that it allowed us to offer basically a, a figure in molded plastic with, you know, two or three little paint apps at $15. And I knew that it wouldn't appeal to, or I thought, I shouldn't say I knew, but I thought that it wouldn't appeal to the masses per se. The price point certainly appeals to everybody, right? But um, it was meant to appeal more to customizers and it's sort of that one of those figures that when I was thinking of the concept, I don't know if this will be true, but I was like, okay, I'll buy these. These will sit in inventory all year long, but customizers can keep coming back and buying those to make new customs with. It's, it's, it's a lot more palatable to buy a $15 figure to customize than to buy like a 40 or $50 figure to customize. Right. And so the packs were never meant to go on, the slates that were always meant to go with the, the, the deco figures or the uh, savage figures. And so that's why there is no heads that go with them because the, the, the slates are literally meant for you to customize and paint yourself. So if you're going to paint them, then you can take a head from any figure and paint it um, to go on there. And that's sort of the idea behind it. It's a, it's a blank slate. Now I, now I get the name. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and that's uh, I think uh, Bill Dronowski over at Dorklair um, is the one that suggested that name. We were trying to come up with names about a year ago instead of saying army builders. And so our army builder names are slates as in blank slates and savages. So, yeah, that's, I mean, it's perfect. Uh, before, yeah, absolutely. Before we hit the last question, I actually, it, uh, talking about the slates and the, the kind of Kickstarter kind of exclusivity 
um, aspect. We didn't mention the Kickstarter exclusive figure. So there's, there is a specific colorway that is only going to be exclusive to the Kickstarter campaign, right? Mm, uh, kind of, and then convention. convention yeah, it's, called, yeah. it's an idea I came up with. It's called a conclusive. I don't know. That's the name I came up with. I don't know if I can claim credit for the idea. Um, I'm sure someone's already thought of this before, but I don't personally like the idea of having convention exclusives. Um, the idea that some person has to fly 800 or 900 miles cross country to buy a $35 figure to make sure that their collection is complete or, you know, fall prey to eBay and some scalpers who just happen to live nearby. Um, not saying that you shouldn't do that. I, I welcome anybody with an opportunity to make a decent dollar. It's just as a collector, it's kind of a turnoff. Um, and so I don't, I just don't personally like that. Um, but I do like the idea of people coming to conventions, seeing you and getting some kind of reward out of that. So I thought it would be a nice idea to kind of make it where, you know, once a year you put out a figure while you're doing the convention tour, because our plan is to basically go to four or five conventions a year spread out through the country to give everybody a chance to, you know, come out and see the stuff. And also just to show it to people that haven't seen it. I mean, cause there's way more people that haven't seen this than they've seen it in Koi collecting worlds. Um, so I just thought it was a better idea. And I also thought it would be nice to be able to offer those figures as contest items throughout the year to drive interest. That's sort of the opportunity. Cause when you think about it, gave away a figure once a week, 52 weeks out of the year. It's not that much. Like in the grand scheme of things, it's not that thing, but you've got something going on for the entire year. So why not? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's a perfect way to, you know, kind of seed extra interest too. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. you know, it's. Or to, to get somebody on board who wouldn't have been normally like, mm-hmm. you know, cause there's, there's, that's the one you know thing with Kickstarter is like, you know, there's always that risk, but you know, when you're, when you have something like that going on, it's somebody going like, Oh, let well, me see what know. this is all about. And if this is for me and then, yeah, they, all of a sudden it's like, Oh, I'm, I'm totally on board with this, which is well, awesome. It's yeah. And what about the know. collector that can't drop $180 or $200? You know, like you're going to mm-hmm. deprive your daughter of something so that you can have a, a 35, $40 figure that someone's scalping. Cause kind of, I mean, yeah, at the end of the day, it's just a toy, but at the same time, like, it is your hobby. It is your passion. So I don't want to, I don't want to take that away from anybody. Um, so that's where the idea came from. It's sort of a balance between creating a chase figure in a way, but also making it actually attainable. It's, it's the most heartwarming savage crucible that could be, that could, that could exist. <laughs> yeah. It's the most heartwarming savage thing. And that actually takes us to our, our final question um, <laughs> of our Q&A, which comes from friend of the pod, friend, friend of everyone. Let's, let's be honest. Everyone's favorite, yeah. everyone's favorite satirical toy account. Uh, our, our, our favorite French expat living in uh, the Netherlands. No, Norway. Uh, at Toy Farce asks, oh, exactly Lord. how, quote unquote, hashtag savage are you ready to be? Oh Lord. Um, so, um, that's so scary coming from him. Like, 
I don't even know how to put the proper caveats on this statement. Um, I enjoy the memes. I enjoy it all. Like it's hysterical. Um, I, I don't take things very personal. Um, so I, I enjoy it. I, I am looking forward to whatever you come up with, sir. That is, um, (laughs) oh yeah. He's, he's just the best. He's the best. Yeah, truly. Cause he like, there are a lot of, you know, accounts that I'm I'm not going to name anybody, but like hard air quotes that like are satirical, but like he gets satire. Like Mm -hmm. he really just chef's kiss, like from day one out the gate. And he's such a nice guy. Absolutely. Like like he gets satire, but there's also like the care. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. you know, passion for. Well, he seems to be really in touch with a lot of different brands, right? Like he really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, has his pulse on it, and uh, actually, I think I've already seen one um, that he hasn't published related to Savage Crucible. And <laughs> it, it did make me laugh pretty hard. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I don't know if he'll ever share that. I don't know if I want him to share that one. But um, it was uh, <laughs> it, it was good. It was really good. So, so to answer his question, just savage enough. That's. <laughs> 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 no, no children need be harmed, but groaning, crying is perfectly acceptable. Uh, and and with that, just savage enough feels like like a sticker, or yeah, a T-shirt, or something. I could see it now. Savage Crucible, just savage enough. Just savage enough. <laughs> exactly as savage as we need to be. That's, that's hashtag it. savage. <laughs> Uh, well, before we before we let you go, that that is the end of our Q and A section. So, congratulations, you've you've survived the adventure. We did it. Collecting Q and A section. And thank you, everybody, for sending questions. Yes, thank you as always. Um, before we uh, we let you go, Dave, would you like to fulfill your role as this podcast's James Lipton and ask our final question? Well, yes, I would. So the final question that we ask all of our guests, what is your favorite and or strangest piece in your collection? It can be one of each, or it can be both. And this is tough. This is really, really tough. Um, I have a Ram Man, original Ram Ram from Motu. Um, I just love that figure as a kid. It doesn't even work anymore. And somehow I managed to hold on to it. I, I have to say that's like my favorite toy that gives me a memory. Um, Cause I definitely wanted to be Ram man. Um, the strangest toy I have in my collection. Uh, it's made out of plastic and uh, it's uh, adult oriented and uh, can be seen on TV without a caveat. Um, let's see. It's a dangerous question, gentlemen. Um, hmm. My favorite. That's pretty tough. I'm not going to lie. That is pretty. I mean, I do get a glee every time I walk in the shop and, and look, look at the Sentinel I have. That's that's. That's given me a lot of happiness here in the last last couple of months. Um, just just to see that big old thing. Um, I think outside of that, it might be. I think one of the best paint jobs that was the most subtle was there was this. I think it was a Mafex Venom, 
and they painted the base like this dark blue and then went over it with a black. And it was like, it was just two colors, but there's just something about it that just looks fantastic. Like I just to get that much play out of two colors is just really impressive to me. So I'm just trying to think of the things that like give you insight into me. So yeah, I think those are, those are my answers. Yep. There's three, but yeah. Hey, no great answers. Uh, yeah, and that hey, that gotta gotta love Ram Man, Ram Man yeah. too. That's I used to love bashing my Ram Man through stuff like he mastered the masters of the universe or otherwise. Because like <laughs> yeah. this guy can go through things. Yeah, I uh, I I I re- I definitely remember that one being in the bin like years later. Like when oh, yeah. when I when I started playing with your your Motu figures. That's that seven year age gap. I got to enjoy things like they were. Uh, n- none of my <laughs> friends knew who. Who any of the right. Masters of the Universe characters were until they came over my house, and I was like, "No, oh, this but is." Stinkor still worked. Yes. Oh yeah, it did. Oh yeah, it did. You um, were a plague on other people's parents. Those kids would come home and want to tell their parents they wanted that figure, and they were trying to go to the store to find it. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And 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 that time it was, uh, you know, you had a better better luck at a flea market at that point. <laughs> That's the only way. Yeah, flea yeah. market or, or uh, yep. you know, like a garage sale. That was it. That was your only chance. Yep. Because this was this was that was way pre eBay and and everything. But yeah, fun. Time. Maybe a comic shop. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, Maybe second hand at a comic shop. Yeah. How many toys did you guys get? Where some kid just got too old and was like, "I'm done with them. Here's here's my whole collection." Like. I think that happened to me like twice. I know that I got a bunch of Star Wars figures that way. Like later. That didn't later happen on. for me so much because yeah. I was. Um, yeah, you know, my cousin and I were the same age, so it was, and we were like kind of first in that regard. Right. So like everything went through uh, us first. So that was more you Eric where it was my stuff that you were getting yeah I, I inherited a bunch of toys from from you that way like full collections like the those um Rambo figures the Karate Kid ones the Masters of the Universe uh wrestlers t- turtles wrestlers yeah like literally all of the most iconic toy G. lines yeah G. how could I forget G.I. Joe's um Literally, like the most iconic toy lines of the '80s, got dropped into my lap as you know a five, six-year-old, uh, which was awesome. And the only one that really kind of continued on through you was uh, was Real American Hero. Yeah, Real American, and but, I mean Star Wars. There was a little bit of a gap, but that one picked. I back figured up again. The, yeah. the turtles not go all the way through for you. I'm not sure. No, they, I mean they stopped in the. By the time I got was getting the turtles from from Dave, they were still making them like those. You those, were on like, the tail end, though. Yeah, the, the ta- you're getting the really horrible pizza delivery, Michelangelo or whatever. Exactly. Versions. Yeah, the the like crazy. You know, some of the mashups were cool, but like, yeah, yeah, it was the it was the really like throwing shit on, uh, uh, you know, towards the wall to see what kind of sticks Ninja Turtles. Um, but yeah, I do remember though going to garage sales and picking up like people's collections of some of the stuff that you know that Dave had and that I already had. So like I was, I can remember going and like filling filling gaps. We you know uh, the town we grew up in actually is known for having the longest annual running uh, Labor Day street fair in the entire country. Okay. Um, 
and there were always cool like comic vent like people selling comics and toys at that street fair and just walk and, up and, and tons of garage sales yeah. the same yeah. weekend. Yep. And that was the thing. Like the walk from our house to where the street fair was, it was also townwide garage sale day because of everything that was going on in the Labor Day Street Fair, everyone would do their garage sales. So you'd you'd hit up the garage sales on your way to the street fair, or, you know, or vice versa. So I, I remember Labor Day being when I was younger being like a thing I would save up for to try to fill some gaps in those uh those collections. Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome guys. Well, Rob, thank you so much for for taking the time to uh to be with us tonight. Uh, before you go, please let our listeners know where can they uh, find out more about Savage Crucible online? Where can they back the campaign? Uh, let them know where they can find you. So the website is www.savagecrucible.com. Um, you can go to Kickstarter to back the Kickstarter campaign. Just type in Savage Crucible in the search bar, upper right-hand corner. And there, follow us on Instagram, Savage, hashtag Savage Crucible. And there is a private Savage Crucible uh, Facebook group where we poll people and ask questions and do some reveals as well. So awesome. And we'll make sure we include links to all of those in the show notes. So uh, guys just hit the show notes and uh, we'll, we'll put the link to the, the, uh, the campaign right there as well as the website and everything. So uh, Rob, nothing but the best of luck uh, for the rest of the campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thank you again for joining us on the show. And uh, let's, let's definitely have you back on once we have some figures in hand. Awesome. I really appreciate it, guys. Dave, Thanks, Rob. Dave, send us home. Everybody, go do a Google search for some Frazetta. Thank you, dear listener, for hanging out with us today. Subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you listen, and then tell your friends to do it. Thanks also to Joe Azari, the golden voice behind our intro. Our music is Game Boy Horror by the Zombie Dandies. Find more about them both on our show notes. Follow us on social media at AIC underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter. Stop by and say hi. Show us your toy hauls and share your toy stories. Maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode. Don't try this at home. Voidware prohibited and some assembly required. Each sold separately, not a flying toy. Consult a physician if your toy run exceeds more than four hours. This has been a non-productive media presentation. Executive producer, Frank Hablawi. This program and many others like it on the Non-Productive Network is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives License. Please share it, but ask before trying to change it or sell it. For more information, visit non-productive.com.